Like we've, we've both been saying really all morning to each other how weird this is to be doing this obviously through a camera church and not be doing this um, in person when we're in the same room. Uh, but here we go anyway. I, I was reflecting and praying about wh- what to speak into and the reality is the times that we're finding ourselves in now are scary. Um, aren't they? They are really scary. And I think if there's a word that sums up the spirit of, of our society at the moment, it is that word fear. And I think the fear comes from all sorts of different places. Uh, not, no small part of it is the shock of what's happened. And people respond to shock in different ways, but it's just in the matter of weeks, our entire society has, has shut down and our way of life has been taken from us. And so part of what's happening, I think, is shock. Um, some of what's happening, I think, is pr- certainly this is for me personally, I'm sure I won't be the only one, just fear that arises from, from that shattering of the illusion that we are in control of life, uh, which we're allowed to have a lot of the time. Some of the fear comes from the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen, but what obviously everybody keeps saying to us is that the situation is going to get worse with the coronavirus before it improves and before it gets better. And it's not that life wasn't already hard enough for a whole bunch of us. Life was tough and it was all we could do just to keep our head above the water. And, and now we find ourselves in this situation. And so we're shocked and we're afraid. And what I wanted to try and do as much as I could um, this morning is just to look, and I've been doing it for myself, at how can we, as God's people, respond in a time of suffering and in a time of panic and in a time of fear and anxiety, what can we practically do to help us cope and to help us deal with it? And so to learn lessons, there's plenty of places we could have gone in the Bible uh, to help us with this. The Bible is full of God's people having to learn to follow him and hear him in moments of despair. But the one that I chose is the one that we just read from Paul and Silas because it's about a lockdown, albeit a very different type of lockdown. And I don't know if you noticed when we heard the story, but it goes out of its way to tell us how severe and how bleak it was for Paul and Silas in that moment. So just imagine they're there and they're, they're doing a missions trip in Philippi and it's going pretty well. They're seeing people come to faith and then suddenly out of nowhere, it's almost as if the whole city turns on them and we're told the crowd begin to kind of join in this attack that was instigated by just a few. And Paul and Silas found, find themselves in front of this mob, stripped and, and beaten. And we're told in the story that they're not just beaten, they're severely beaten. And then we're told they're thrown into jail And it's not just that they're put in jail, we're told they're put in the inner cell of the jail. Not only are they in the inner cell, but their feet are in stocks. And then the bit that it tells us about, I don't know if you noticed the the timing, the detail of the timing, it tells us in the story that it was about midnight, which is the middle of the night. It's darkness. It's It's the bleakest part of the night, as it were. And that is where Paul and Silas find themselves. And then we see the way that they respond to this, because what it says in the passage is about midnight, not they were trying to help out the other prisoners, um, not that they were speaking words of comfort to, to, to those who were in chains around them, but at midnight what they were doing is they were praying and singing hymns. And I remember as I, as I looked at this passage and I was thinking, gosh, what could I even say when we're going through this? I thought, there's no way I can come out and say in the middle of this, this greatest crisis of our era, oh guys, we've all got to pray and we've got to sing hymns. Um, how, how can I do that? Surely the response to a pandemic needs to be something a bit more powerful than that. 
But actually, um, that's when you think that the end goal is to pray and sing a hymn. And actually what they were doing, the, the hymns were a vehicle for them, the prayers were a means to an end. And the end was hymn. They were in the middle of the darkest place in Philippi in an incredibly dark and bleak time in their own lives. And their first response was to seek God. And they go on to help the other prisoners. And they go on to lead the jailer, as we heard, to faith. And his whole household get converted. So they go on to help others. But the place that they begin, Paul and Silas, is they turn to him and they seek to be near him. Judah, my little boy, when he was two, he, he really struggled to sleep often and what two-year-old doesn't, but we had him sharing a room with his bigger brother, Josiah, and so every time Judah started to manic, because we'd be like, there's one thing worse than a child crying at night, and it's two children crying at night. So we were like, we've got we've to shush him before he wakes Joss up. And so we would, run, we would run into the room and try and find every which way we could to make him stop crying. And, and I remember over a period of weeks, I kind of worked out what would, what would settle him off. And I tried all sorts of different things. So one is I would go in there and I would try and speak some really comforting things to him. And I am a preacher, so I would usually give him a 20-minute talk. All all the things would begin with the same letter. At the end of it, he usually ended up in a worse state than he was at the start. So words didn't really help very much. Then I thought, I'll try cuddling him. So I would pick him up and I would cuddle him and I would settle him off to sleep. And I would think, finally, he's off again. So I then put him back down in the car. And I don't know how people sometimes manage to do this. I could not work away of putting him back into the cot and leaving the room without him waking up again. So inevitably, we'd be back to where we started. Uh, I also tried more than once just trying to give him a little bit of light in the room, just not loads, but a bit of light. Maybe it's the darkness that's freaking him out. Maybe if you can see a little bit, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll calm down. That didn't work either. And eventually, I discovered that what would settle him is me coming into the room and then not leaving again. And so what I would end up doing is I would gather all these cushions from the boy's room and I would lie them across the sort of the, the wooden floor and I would lie down and I worked out that I'd have to lie on the floor in a place where Judah could see me through the bars of his cot. So I'd lie down and make myself a kind of makeshift bed and I'd lie there. And then Judah would kind of peek through the bars of his cot. He would see me there and he'd settle off for a bit. And after a little while, he'd stir. And I'd see, because I would still be obviously wide awake, I'd see his little pe- face poking through the bars again. He'd just check that dad was still in the room and then he'd go back to sleep again. And I look back at it now, and it wasn't what I said. It wasn't even holding him. It wasn't light. It was my permanent presence in his bedroom that meant the fear disappeared. And for us, what we're going to find during these times is, you know, God is going to speak words of comfort to us, and there are going to be moments where it feels like he's very close. And um, we're going to hope and pray that the darkness lifts and the light shines. But what we need, ultimately, is his permanent presence near to us, his permanent presence in our lives. And when Paul and Silas pray, they're recognizing that you can chain us and you can put us in a prison cell and we can't physically walk out, but we are always free. We may be socially distanced from one another, but we are always free to seek his face and to press into him. There's no, there's no uh, distance that I need to keep from my God, and in fact, the reverse. At a place and a time like this, we need to be close to him. So when we think about fear and that being dominant and present in our lives right now, one of the verses that comes into my head is, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. 
And the way that we receive and kind of, I suppose, are reminded again of the reality of his perfect love is by drawing near. So think about it a bit like if you come in um, and it's really freezing outside and you know, you've got a log burner or something in your house. You come in from the cold and you think fire, okay, fire equals warmth. So what I need to do is I need to go over to that fire, I need to put my hands out to it. And I know that though my fingers and my hands are just icy at the moment, if I just hold my hands out there, what will happen is the cold will disappear after a while and the heat will begin to kind of flow through my, my body. And in the same way as fire equals warmth... I'm so sorry to interrupt uh, just for, for a second, but there's a, <coughs> an urgent message um, on the live stream chat. Yeah. And it's from um, Josiah and Judah, um, who say they live in your house. <laughs> and they say, could you please hurry up and finish? This is boring. We want oh. to get to the singing. OK, soon. I'll be home soon. <laughs> Oh, they didn't ask me to come home. They just asked me to hurry up. Um, okay, so in the same way that we go to a fire because we know... Thank you for that. We go to a fire because we know fire equals warmth. In the same way, God equals love. And so if we want to, um, I suppose, receive his love afresh, what we do is we draw near to him. We hold our hands out to him, as it were. And as we do that with all of our fear and all of our anxiety and all the unknown that we're staring into, what will happen just because we're close to him, because his presence is what gives us peace, um, we will find ourselves once again refreshed and reminded that we have a security that is far deeper than the foundations of any prison. It's the security of his love. And so it's basic. What do we do in this time as God's people? How do we respond to a crisis? It starts with we pray and we sing hymns. And because it's basic, we can be tempted to disimportant or something that won't make a difference. But it's the most essential thing we can do as Jesus' people in these days. We want to seek his face not as a last resort, but as a first response to what's happening and what's going, what we're going through. And the more I've looked at what happens in the scripture, the more we see this is how God's people always responded when there was a problem and when there was a crisis. So there's so many examples we could choose. 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Chronicles, rather, chapter 20, there's a story of a huge battle that takes place. And the king is a guy called Jehoshaphat. And Israel, the, the, the people of Judah, they were invaded by a, a force that was bigger than they could ever have defeated. And what they do as a response, first off the bat, is they gather together to seek God's face. And at that point, the king, Jehoshaphat, prays this prayer. And I love the words of it. And again, the verse has, has come to me. Maybe this could be a memory verse at some stage. He says, Oh God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In the story of the early church, we've picked one example from Acts 16, but there's so many others, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 12, where there was persecution and the church's response was to gather and it was to seek God's face. Even Jesus, in his moment of despair and his, his greatest kind of need in the Garden of Gethsemane, what Jesus does at that point is he prays, that's his response. On the cross even, I never, I never knew this until Mike pointed it out to me years ago. On the cross, when Jesus cries out, he's actually reciting a hymn. It's a psalm, Psalm 22. And so we see that Jesus, at his moment of darkness, when, when darkness reigned, when night fell, his response was to pray and to recite a hymn. And the word Christian, it's been said, just means little Christs. 
So what Paul and Silas are doing here as they model something for us is they're being little Christs. They're echoing Jesus, who in, who in night's darkest hour prayed and recited a hymn. Where do we start? The place we start is we seek his face. And how does that look for us? What might that look like in life today? Well, um, it's not overcomplicating it. It's praying and, and singing hymns. That's, that's first off the bat. And what it looks like for me in my home is I have to set my alarm a little bit earlier than I would like it to be set because once the day begins, it's, it's over really in terms of being, having any space. So I have to drag myself out of bed. And in practice, it's not particularly impressive. I'm there kind of in my PJs, bleary-eyed and, and kind of walking around often to try and keep myself awake so I don't fall back to sleep again. And in those hours in this last week, I've just chosen to, I'm going to sing a hymn. And my singing is horrific. I mean, Mike is probably one of the worst I've heard and mine's, Mine's even worse than that. Um, and I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll just sing anyway, quietly, so I don't wake anybody up. And I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll read a couple of psalms, and I will pray. And it doesn't need to be... So for you, it'll look different. It might be a different time of the day. But find a space where you can seek him. And also, as part of that seeking of him, another thing to, to try and do in that time is to, is to be real. And so whenever it is, one of the things that I've been trying to do is I've sought his face is to remember that we are always part of as it were two stories uh, a little while ago having the four kids and I said to them which answer do you want um, you know the one answer is my word it's absolutely relentless and it's mad and there's always somebody vomiting or pooing and um, I haven't slept well for five years and I don't have a second to myself and all of that stuff. That's one answer and that's true and it's authentic and it's real. And the other answer is, I love it and it is amazing. And they, they gather together when I get home at the end of the day. They're there like a little group of puppies just waiting to jump on me and I can't even get my shoes off before one of them falls on top of me. And then it's like, that's it, we're off to the races and we're playing, we're making Lego, you know, and I've never been more fulfilled. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's in his 50s. And I said, it's both of these things together, isn't it? And he said, yes, it is. Um, but his children are older and they've grown up now. And he just looked at me and he said, but you know what? When you look back, it's funny. You only remember the good bits. And now, do not tell me that on the live stream, because this is kind of keeping me going right, right now where I'm at. But um, what he said is you only remember the good bits. And what, what he was saying, in a way, was both of those stories, as it were, are true, but eventually one of those stories will swallow up the other one. And when we come to pray, one of the things that I love about following Jesus when we pray and we worship is we can be so real about it. We do not need to have a filter on. We don't need to pretend that we're full of confidence and trust when we're really full of fear and anxiety. You know, Jesus in Gethsemane was weeping. He was sweating blood. Such was his terror at what was ahead of him. And so I can come to my Lord and I can say, I'm scared too. And what I love about that is he gets it. He understands what that is like. But also, that's real and we want to be real to that. But also, there's a bigger reality that we want to be real to, which is the reality that Jesus still sits on his throne. He still is sovereign. Really really does reign. And when we, when we worship, we're not doing that as a way of escaping reality. Let's pretend that we're no longer in prison. Let's pretend 
and we're no longer in shock. Let, let's, if we just sing enough songs, maybe we can convince ourselves that we're not afraid anymore. We're not worshipping in order to escape the current reality. We're acknowledging that this is real, but also we're doing is we're immersing our minds and immersing our hearts and our souls in the greater reality of God's story that despite circumstances and despite what it looks like right now and despite how it feels and the feelings are so intense he still is in charge um, one thing that's helpful here that I found helpful in the last couple of months is thinking about how we use the word but and it occurs in a lot of the Psalms that the, the people who sang them, what they do is they say, it's awful and I'm in a city under siege or my life is under threat or my, my enemies are all too numerous for me to count. And they list all these horrible things that are happening to them and then they insert this tiny little but powerful word, but, but I trust you, but I put my faith in you. And often the way that we do it is we say things like, certainly this is how I've done it, but life is so hard and life is so painful and I'm so full of fear and instead what we want to try and do when we come to him in prayer is flip that around flip the order around and so say life is hard but God is good something very profound to me about this a little while ago would you like to say it now yeah it's all about where you put your butt Um, that's uh, Mike Pilavachi, MBE, everybody. Think about where you put your butt. And so it's not escapism, but it is choosing to press into reality. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I am surrounded by you. Psalm 23 said it in a different way. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Though I'm surrounded, I know I'm surrounded by you. Final things as we finish. One of the things that struck me as I've read this passage is, it's not just Paul here in the prison singing, it's Paul and Silas. They're there together. And there's a power in doing this together. Now, this is an, a time where, as we're fearful, we want to draw even closer together. And we're not allowed to do that. It's so strange to be isolated at a moment where we both, you know, at most we need fellowship. And this is where we have to be as intentional as we can be about, about being in touch with one another, about doing as much as we can using technology to support each other, about being honest and real with each other. So Mike and I have been in touch every day over the last week and there have been times where one or the other of us or both of us has been feeling pretty low and at a time like that that's where we need to reach out and that's where we need to be real because what we can do is we can spur one another on and then finally we might say okay time of crisis how do we respond we pray and we sing hymns we seek his face and we do it together what can I expect God to do as I do that what might we see him do in the days to come? And in a detailed answer, there's, there's no answer. We'll find out what God is going to do. But I'll tell you what we can expect. He is going to do things. And he is going to move. And the way that God moves in people's prisons seems to me to be different depending on what is going on and what his purposes and plans are. So for Jesus, Jesus had to go through the cross enter the prison, not just of walls of, of cells of chains, but the prison of death itself, before he burst out of the other side and he took his throne in heaven. 
for Paul in this moment, we just read it, it's an incredible story. The earthquake happens. Everybody gets set free, not just Paul and Silas. Everybody else around them is set free. The jailer comes to faith. We're going to pray for an earthquake and for a miracle and for people around us to find physical illnesses fall off them, but also that they find freedom in Christ. But then years later, Paul is writing from another prison to the Philippian church. He's writing to the church from Rome, another prison. And what we know is that this prison, the door didn't get bust off. The chains didn't come loose. He continued in prison until eventually he died. He was executed in prison. But his message was always the same. He said, pray, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. And he said, worship. The way that he put it in Philippians is, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So our response is always the same, but God will always move. Amen.